Nehemiah chapter 11. We are, I think I, know, I mentioned this, we're switching our building faith to at least to one or two evenings here. We're almost done. So Nehemiah chapter 11 and chapter 12, we will tackle this evening. We'll tackle this this evening. Have you ever, um, have you ever come to a point when you're reading in Scripture and you say, there are a lot of names here, a lot of names I cannot pronounce. I'm going to pronounce, no, I'm not going to pronounce them for you all this evening. But you kind of start to wonder, Lord, was just, just, just extra? What's this all about? Just kind of filler? And God has, His Word is preserved for us, and God has things for us to learn from His Word. I want to challenge you tonight. I'm going to take this almost as a Bible study until I get to the end, and I'll, I'll start really preaching at the end. Um, but at this Bible study, really at this point, and to look at what God is doing and draw some, some, uh, some lessons from it, but just see that God, as He fulfills His Word, and we're talking, remember our, our theme back up here, is that building faith God works in our hearts and lives through circumstances, sometimes through our sin as He judges, sometimes as He, he, he starts to bring us back to Himself, but he, all the while, He desires for us to trust Him. So that trust leads to obedience. So, Nehemiah chapter 11. Now, the leaders of the people in Israel, uh, now the leaders, I'll back up, lived in Jerusalem. But the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Here's a kind of interesting thing. So the leaders were living in Jerusalem. Now, we look at Jerusalem today and say, this is a nice place. It's a modern city. Remember, context here, this had been decimated years before. There's just now finishing the rebuilding of the walls, and homes and buildings are in rubble still. They have done the work of cleanup, but it's not a great place to live yet. It's not full bustling like it would at one time or like it had been many years before. And so the leaders live, but they, they cast lots. Okay, so you know, here's ten of you. One of you is going to go live, and almost like it wasn't punishment. They needed people to populate the city, to do the work of the city, but also to, to live and raise families and all this. One out of ten. And then verse 2 seems to give us an indication that there were those who volunteered. And they praised God for those who would volunteer in this situation instead of staying where they were comfortable. Now, understand that people returning from Babylon and Persia, coming back to the land... We're rejoining people who already lived in the land, a small number, but there are those during the captivity, there are those who stayed. Okay, so, and especially after you get past Nebuchadnezzar, as you got to the Persian, the Medes and the Persians, it, things kind of tightened up and it was not a bad place to live, but not in Jerusalem. They were, they were populating, they, they were doing all the work and they had homes and lands outside. And now... God wants them to come in his once great city. And, and a very interesting designation here in verse 1, the holy city, God's city, they want them to come and join. And so um, kind of verse 3 comes, gives the idea, now all the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem, but in the city of Judah, each lived on his own property in their cities, the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, the descendants of Solomon's servants, the sons of the sons of Judah, sons, some of the sons of Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. 
And so he goes on to name them. And then down to verse 6, sons of Perez lived in the Jerusalem were 468 able men. So you start to see here that there are people who had, who had lived and, and set down roots in these areas. And this area of Benjamin and the area of, of Judah were being populated. But here they were... There were there's these people who were settled, who were coming and living in Jerusalem, able men. Another section we'll see, um, probably a, the word valiant men. And so he starts to work here, and you say, okay, that's interesting. We've got people resettling the land, okay? The city, Jerusalem primarily, and even the land around it. And that's interesting. I see what God's doing. He's bringing people back, and he's allowing them to live and settle in. Okay, so he continues. Verse 7, sons of Benjamin. Now verse 10. From the priest, Jediah, the son of Joyarib, and Jachin, and then he keeps on reading, the leader of the house of God. And now in these verses, you start to see the organization of the worship in the temple. In this section, you might head a, from, from verse 10, and we'll, we'll move on. I'll tell you when to stop here. But in this area, you have worship organized and planned. Okay, so let's cast our minds way back to David's time. And David, they had courses of priests and those who served in the temple in Solomon's time. And everything was organized, choirs, temple servants, priests, Levites, everything was taken care of, and it was a well-oiled machine, and for many years that had not been taken place. Okay? The feasts, in fact, we saw last time we were there in, in Nehemiah, they hadn't observed properly the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. So now God is allowing the people here to begin to, to worship again and to organize the worship. And so things are set in order and are done orderly, As you continue those details, you have the workers of the temple, 14, even though you have these people who work in the temple in the city of God, you have valiant men in verse 14, 128, the overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadolim. Hmm. I made it through that one, didn't I? Uh, Now from the Levites, you start to see God is bringing people back and they are coming back to their their family jobs. It's interesting because if you were a Levite, if you're the, the, the tribe of Levi, you were in some sort of temple role, most likely. Maybe you're a supporting role. Maybe you're a priest, your family. We'll see here in a second. Other things, uh, maybe your, your land supported the priest. Different things. But it was in, interesting here. And now what we're seeing is God working to bring people back to do the roles that their ancestors had, had done 100, 200 years ago. And so here it is. You go to verse 18. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. And then the gatekeepers there on the, on the wall. And then 20, the rest of Israel, the priests and the Levites, were in the, all the cities and each in his own inheritance. See, God had given inheritance to each family. Here they are, they're reclaiming these things. Verse 22, you see, uh, verse 21, you see the temple servants were living in Ophel. And I didn't bring a slide, I've, and I usually always bring slides. But um, uh, Temple Mount, just south toward us, is that area the, the, right around the city of David, we think of. And, but temple servants lived there, they set up their homes there. 
and um, 22, the overseer Levites, and there were singers, the sons of Asaph, who were singers of the service of the house of God, and uh, Ailey's not here tonight. Verse 23, there was a commandment from the king concerning them, and a firm regulation of, for the song leaders day by day. You can tell them you, you, the next Sunday you heard about the firm regulation. Um, but they're hearkening back to the time of, uh, of Solomon, temple worship. Things were done orderly. And so God is, once again, in his holy city, a place they never thought this would happen because of the captivity, because of their sin. Of their sin. Now he's brought them back and is restoring the temple worship. Things are, wow, this is pretty neat. Things are going well. And so you look through this and you see uh, a few more highlights. Um, uh, you see the, the people in their villages and sin, in their field, fields and villages. Uh, the sons of Benjamin, all the way down to the end of chapter 11. And you see this. Um, these people, these commandments, worship, organized, and planned, and it was not haphazard. Now, it's interesting also, one side note. They're quietly resettling lands that are not directly under Nehemiah's governorship. They're going to Samaria. They're going back to ancestral lands, and they may be other governors in charge. Uh, it seems Nehemiah's section is pretty much there, Jerusalem and that swath of Judah and Benjamin. But they're going and they re- they're resettling, going back to ancestral lands. And, and it's important to you know, We don't have quite, especially in the U.S., we've only been around, you know, 230-something years, whatever it is. Yeah, we don't have quite the attachment to land as these people did. And so, but it's a big deal. Trust me, it's a big deal. They're going back here, and so they're quietly doing this. And God has brought his people back to the land here. And so you go to verse 12. And verse 12 begins with, again, the priests and the Levites. And so we see here, in, or verse 12, chapter 12, you see the register of priests and Levites. That's ought to be exciting, huh? Yeah, lots of good names here. And so you're, you read down, and these were the priests and Levites who came up from Zerubbabel. Remember, he was the leader at the beginning uh, of the book of Ezra. And so they come and they list the names. Um, the, verse 8, the Levites. Okay, and so there, the brothers stood opposite the service divisions. They're not opposing. They're together there, but they're different responsibilities. So you read through all of these names, and I would encourage you just for no, no other reason, but this is God's word, and Good for your tongue to say these out loud. Um, verse 22, you come down to that. As for the Levites, the heads of the father's household, they were registered in the days of Eliashib, Joida, and Johanna. Um, those so were the, peace, uh, the priests in the reign of Darius the Persians. And so you see all this coming back and registering of this. And so in verse 24, the heads of the Levites, and it gives them, uh, and they were their duties were to praise and give thanks as prescribed by David, the man of God, division corresponding to division. They're coming back and saying, hey, these are our roles in praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing. All the way back when David set things in order, when David and Asaph were, were, were readying and the, the uh, Korah were readying, readying the, the, pre, the temple worship, even before the temple was built, but all the worship of God, they were readying for that in the courses. They're coming back to it. Well, Stacey, that's not remarkable, but it is, okay? Keep reminding yourself, out of rubble, God has brought this back. Incredible things are happening. 
And so they do that. And then you see something really interesting. The restoration of priestly houses. So, they were set up 24 houses, families of priests, lines of priests. And they served in different uh, capacities and at different times. So here in Nehemiah, we have listed 22 of those 24 are now, those families are now taking up the responsibilities that they have been given. Oops, went too far. Um, into the restoration of the priestly houses. And so we were seeing that built up. So um, let's see, 12, 1 through 7, and then um, 20, let's see, yeah, well, 8 and 9, the Levitical families in, in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 12 are coming into place once again. And then the high priestly family in verses 10 and 11. All these are coming into being here, and they're free-forming. And the heads of the other priests and Levitical things come down from 12 to 26. And so they are serving. Now, again, set your mind back in that day. As your family had been given a responsibility by God from the time of Aaron, expanded in time of David, and ancestors upon ancestors have been doing this work in the worship of God, and all of a sudden it came to an end because of the, the sin of your collective people and remained at, at an end for quite some time, many years, and now for the very first time, this is coming back. And so for us, it's like, okay, that's nice. For them, it's incredible. Again, God not only are bringing people back to resettle the land here, This is God's faithfulness, understand? He's bringing back the people to worship, the organization, and the families to do all this. And God is, in many different ways, in many different paths, bringing people to begin to restore the worship there in the temple, temple area, and He's doing this. God has done this. And then you come to verse 27. Now, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals and harps and lyres. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the village of Nephthalites and from Beth Gilgal and their fields um, in in Geba and Asmaveth. And so the singers had built themselves up, villages around Jerusalem. The priests and Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people and the gates and the wall. We'll pause there for a second. And now, in fact, it's interesting because at verse 27, we have again the first person account of Nehemiah. We believe, scholars believe, that from 725, uh, an editor has come and put all this there. Nehemiah, again, is speaking first person of this. And he is recounting this day. This day of the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. And so all of these people in place, all the priests, all the Levites, all this are coming together and it's going to be a very big deal because God has, by His miraculous power, brought together not only the reconstruction of the temple, but the building of the wall of safety. We've already studied this. Here is the dedication of that wall. Look at here. They celebrate, verse 27, the dedication with gladness. 
with gladness, with joy, with hymns of thanksgiving, with great gratitude, and songs. And so you, you start to see this is, not, this is not something little. This is big. This is huge. Symbols, harps, and lyres. Um, those are instruments, by the way, of David. Then I had verse 31. Oh, oh, back up. Because this is going to be important here in a second. Uh, verse 30. The priest and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people and the gates and the wall. So, system of purification. First, by sacrifices to, to forgiveness of sin. Secondly, if you've ever been uh, or seen pictures of Israel, and all of a sudden you come to this um, hole in the ground. Okay? And it's called a mikvah. And the water had to be running into it. And they, part of purification was to submerge oneself into the water and come back up. And the priests would do that, cleansing themselves, yes, physically, but representing spiritually cleansing themselves with the sacrifices. They put on fresh, clean, white robes, and they would go into the ministry of the worship. And so here, they're purifying themselves. Why? Because God is holy. God is holy, and so they're coming with great reverence and with themselves being purified before a holy God. And so they come and do that, and they also uh, work through the, the things that, that God had given them um, for the purification of the people and the gates and the walls. And so 31, then I had the leaders of Judah come up to the top of the wall. Now, uh, you've seen pictures of the wall too uh, that I've shown you. It's broad. It's not like I'm sitting on, you know, teetering. It's a broad wall here, even at this time, the Reconstruction. Now you can almost walk around it in the old city because uh, many of it's Ottoman uh, Reconstruction. But, so he said, I had them uh, come to the point, of, and I appointed two great choirs. The first proceeding to the right on the top of the walls were the refuse gate. And he gives the leaders of those who followed them. Okay, so it goes through 35. And then uh, 36 is kinsmen, Shemaiah. And then um, Ezra the scribe into verse 36 went before them. Uh, some, have, some have tried to say that, that wasn't Ezra from, from earlier, but I believe he, it is, this is by his designation. But he would probably be, in, um, he'd probably be up in age at this point. So he's with him on the wall. The fountain gate, they went directly to the steps of the city of David by the stairway of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. And then a second choir proceeded to the left. So one went to the right, one went to the left, while I followed with them, with half the people on the wall, above the tower that furnishes, furnishes up the broad wall, above the gate of Ephraim by the old gate, the fish gate. And so and they stopped at the gate of the guard into 39. Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God, so did I and half the officials with me. And he names them. It says in the verse 42, And the singers sang with, with Jezariah their leader. And on that day, verse 43, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and the children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Can you imagine being there? Okay? Even if you couldn't sing, it wouldn't really matter. Because there was enough people to drown you out. And enough instruments there. And it was just a loud, joyful, praising musical. Yes, because they were musicians. I mean, they had a firm regulation on them. They had to be musical. That was part of it. They're coming together. And they're, 
almost an antiphonal choir back and forth praising together. And it was so much joy and so much volume that people, not in the city and on the hills of the Kidron back up to the Mount of Olives, but people from afar were hearing of the joy of the Lord. And God had given them that great joy. And so it was just something that God poured in on them. No, they had been seeing the hand of God, particularly through all of this process, and knew that God had been faithful to His promises, and that was the joy they had. And as they obeyed, they received the joy of the Lord, that in obedience they had great joy and great worship at this point. And it was, it was incredible. I wish I could have been there. And here too. But I wish I, you know, to, to drop into that and to, to hear that. Only to be rivaled by the time of Solomon and the dedication of the temple. Probably the, the only rival. And I think this was probably even more heartfelt. Because these people had sacrificed greatly. They knew what had happened and what God had done to bring them back to this place. So you have great joy. Um, and then you have verse 44. On that day, men were also appointed over the chambers of the stores, contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, the gathering of the fields of the city, the portions required by law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who served. And so they're taking care. For they, the Levites and the priests, performed the worship of their God and the service of purification together with the singers and the gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. And kind of a little, a little aside here, from the days of David and Asaph, um, in the ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymns and thanksgiving to God. So all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portion due to the singers and the gatekeepers. Don't tell Ellie that. Um, as each day required and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites. The Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. It wasn't like, hey, let's, let's pay the singers. It's not that. These were, these were performing great acts of worship for God. They were leading in the worship. And so they revered them. And so they took care of them. You can find the principles there of worshiping God. But I want to hone in on 43 and 45. 43 and 45 are the verses that really, as I was reading through the list of all that was going on, what seemed to be the culmination. Unfortunately, chapter 13 we'll get to is not another time. It's not so pleasant. But here's the culmination of what God has been doing and what the people have seen God do. And what do they emphasize? They emphasize purification, purity, or as we think, holiness. Now, why might they have emphasized holiness at this time? Maybe it was because of the sin of the people that caused them to be forced into captivity, that caused a righteous God in fulfillment of His covenant to judge them. And holiness and purification is an outward sign of what God is doing here for them, what God had done for them. And these men were purifying themselves and ritually for the people to say, God, you are holy, so we, your people, should be holy also as we come to worship you. Great reverence. 
An emphasis on purification, an emphasis, an emphasis on holiness stems from the image of God, of what God has done for someone, a person, you and me. Because they were in direct response to what God had done for them and bringing them back from the captivity and restoring. And this was, was their response. And this must be our response. That when we see who God is and what He has done, if you are a follower of Christ, the overwhelming joy of salvation, the incredible gift of salvation that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, who shed His blood for us, who gave His life for us, that we might have redemption. As we see who Jesus is, then do we go and say, I don't really care. No, we fall down before God and we worship. And we desire as God has said, be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. An emphasis on purity. So what do we learn? Emphasis on purity. We learn from this that God, in these passages, 11 and 12, God is interested in the details. We are tempted to think, well, God's a big picture kind of person. You know? Uh, through the epics of time and, and then one day everything. And God is interested in details. Really? He cares how I come to Him in worship. He cares for orderliness. He cares for even the minute things of caring for those who are serving here in in the temple. Those things that He had instituted long ago, He cares for the details. And you see, in obedience, with the joy that comes they're receiving from what God has done, they obey, and there is joy as a result of obedience, and obedience as a result of the joy as they worship. That God is interested in details. That helps us remind us, as I live my life here, I, I need to be careful about the details, about how I live. Things are important. My daily walk with God is important. My taking time to, to be obedient in, lo- in the things that God is revealing through His Word He's interested in the details. Secondly, joy and worship is born of obedience. What a wonderful reciprocal relationship that joy and obedience and worship have. When we obey, God gives us the joy. When we worship, we have joy. The result of worship is obedience. If you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. True worship is both transcendent. I mean, we are seeing God as He is and, and a transcendent God, and we marvel at the greatness of God, and we can worship God and who He is. And w- true worship is also transformational because when I see who God is, I transform to be more like Christ. I do those things. And so that joy in worship that's where the obedience comes in. Is that transformational process where God says, Stacy, there's a couple things you need to work on. Okay? And he starts, you know how things, you know how it is that God's working on you in a certain area? You want to know how it is? It's like, it always keeps coming up. Okay? 
I'm struggling with this area or maybe with this relationship or maybe it's an authority in my life, then he's always going to bring up situations that are, that are right there, bringing that there until I settle it with him, until I am willing to submit to him and submit to everything else. And obedience and joy and worship come together. Last thing. Last thing. I'm going to point out to you a, a, a we don't see it in our English, but it's a word that is, um, actually when they do the Septuagint, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament later on, they use this word in, for a word of, uh, of um, really it's a, a Thanksgiving offering. But the word they use here several times, I think is three times for choir. The word they use for the choir is this word, uh, the Hebrew form of it is todah. It is a thanksgiving choir. It is a thanksgiving choir, and it, it gives us the understanding that thanksgiving choir is what they had in their hearts as well as what they were singing. It wasn't that the choir they were singing thanksgiving songs. They didn't have that holiday. But it was that from a heart of thanksgiving the choir sang, and they were a todah or a thanksgiving choir. Don't think of turkeys. Think of, okay? Understand, this idea of gratitude. This was the choir. And you and I have the responsibility and the joy that thanksgiving should be the natural choir of my heart. And boy, do I know when I'm out of fellowship with God when there's no thankfulness in my heart. The choir ain't singing, as we say in the South. Sorry. It's not happening because I'm not... If I'm not walking with God, the, the choir's not singing a thanksgiving to Him. See, it's a natural response of a heart who is walking with God to be full of joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. Hey, the heart that's not is, is well, it's, it's just not. And I can tell it in me. I can tell it in me. Where else is that phrase, that word used? Well, let's go to Hebrews 13. We will finish with this because I think this is uh, pretty much sums it up. Thirteen, verse fifteen. Uh, I won't give you the whole context. I'll let you read it. It's a great study in, first, in chapter 13, coming off of 11 and 12. But in 15, it says, Through Him, Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. The Tadah. Sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips, a sacrifice of praise. Thanksgiving should be the natural choir of our hearts. And as Hebrews is finishing up, as the writer is finishing up this this wonderful masterpiece of what God has done for the Jewish people, how Jesus fulfills every prophecy of the Messiah. And how the people uh, through faith come to receive Him. And you have the, the hall, the witnesses of faith who stand and say, yes, He is worth it. And then you come to verse, uh, chapter 12 
And it says, now, because of this, we, we see this great cloud of witnesses who have testified by their lives that Christ is worth it. Let us lay aside everything, every weight that encumbers us, and run the race, looking to Jesus, who is our author and finisher, who for the joy set, set before Him, he, 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 looked, he went to the cross, the great pain and suffering. He, he said, it's more important for the joy of salvation than the pain. I have to experience. And here, finishing up, the writer says, then through Him, then, let us continually offer, continually offer the Tadah, our thanksgiving, which echoes Nehemiah. Thanksgiving. Choir. God is faithful. Overwhelming fact in your life and my life, if we're a follower of Christ, God is faithful. He will bring in circumstances, sometimes will challenge us and push us to our end. And that is a great place to be at our end. As then we take our hands off our lives, our life, and we submit to Him. And with that, He starts to use us and He strips away all the things in this process and says, trust me trust me, and it's so difficult in times of trial. Think about the ones who were faithful to God in the times of captivity, who waited long years, who stayed in the land, those who went to the captivity, Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, well, we know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of those who stayed, God is faithful because He is joy. Joy, thanksgiving, worship, obedience, knowing that He has every detail in His hand. And because of that, we can trust Him. Let's rejoice in Him. As we follow Him, as we're obedient, we rejoice. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by Your mercy and by Your grace, we thank You for that great promise that we have um, by your good work that you have promised. For the child of God, you will never leave us nor forsake us. And Father, we see through the book of Nehemiah the joy and obedience. May we have that same joy. May our hearts be thankful. May we submit all to thee. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the representation, even in seemingly a list of names and a in a celebration activity that you are faithful to your word and you are a faithful God. So we may, we must trust you and follow you. Thank you that we can. And so, Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to give ourselves to you. Help us to be a willing one to serve in any way we possibly can for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.